I'm Augusta Mayor Hardy Davis. You're listening to Making a Difference with Ken Macon. That's the sound of the police. That's the sound of the beast. That's the sound of the police. That's the sound of the beast. That's the sound of the police. Mad Family, Hip Hop Family, you know that sound all too well. It's a classic beat, classic track, none other than KRS-One's Sound of the Police. It's a great way to start out another episode of Making a Difference. I'm your host, Ken Macon. So glad you're checking in with me today. we got a great episode for you. We're talking to none other than Richmond County Sheriff Richard Roundtree. Had a chance to sit down with him. We had a real candid conversation talking about some important topics. We talked about Black Lives Matter. We talked about race. We talked about crime in the Augusta, Richmond County area. This is a conversation that you don't want to miss. I'm glad you guys are here with me. Don't just keep it to yourselves. I want you to share it with everybody else. We're going to jump right into this conversation. But first, I want to thank some sponsors. I want to thank Medical Villa Pharmacy on 1520 Laney Walker Boulevard in beautiful Augusta, Georgia. If you're looking for affordable health care and a pharmacy that you can trust, look no further than Medical Villa Pharmacy, 706-722-7355, 706-722-7355. I also want to shout out my friends over at Pop and Stop on 3558 Windsor Spring Road in Hempstead, Georgia. I've had the popcorn myself. It's actually been a little while. I got a shout out. They have what's called the, the VIP card, and I'm a, a VIP member, so I got to go get me some popcorn. But it's the best pop- popcorn on earth. This is a personal testimony. Can't stop, won't stop, pop and stop. Uh, 706-524-7503, 706-524-7503. And I want to shout out the triumphant return of Urban Pro Weekly. That's a free weekly newspaper in the CSRA covering issues relating to the local community. Making a Difference has a weekly column in UPW. You guys are going to enjoy that this week. This week's column has been titled The Legend of the Reverend Dr. Nathaniel Irvin, as, of course, the late great uh, Pastor Emeritus of the Old Storm Branch Baptist Church over in South Carolina was a, a dear friend of mine and a, a dear friend to so many of us in the community. He will be sorely missed. Uh, we had a chance to eulogize him in, in, a, in a very unique way, and I want you guys to uh, pick up a copy of Urban Pro Weekly and check that out. In the meantime, you're here. I know you guys are ready for this conversation. We've been talking about it a lot on social media. So here it is. We're not going to have you waiting any longer. Thank you for checking in to making a difference. So glad to have Sheriff Richard Roundtree on the show with us today. How you doing, my friend? Good, Ken. Good to be back with you, my friend. Always good to speak with you. You know how we do it. Uh, before I jump into the questions I have for you, uh, you, you're always, you know, really on the move or really proactive in terms of, you know, uh, services and programs uh, mm-hmm. through the Sheriff's Office. What do you want the community to know about some of the things you're already doing in the Sheriff's Office? Well, uh, thank you for that. And like I said, yeah, we're, we're trying to be proactive. We're you know, um, you know, our biggest accomplishment of the four years of receiving our national accreditations. Um, like I said, we got our last one a couple months ago where it gives us the crippled um, crown of, of law enforcement. You know, we're proud to say that we are less than one and less than 100 sheriff offices in the nation since 1993 to hold all three accreditations at one time. And we'll be going to um, Nevada next um, year to receive that national accreditation. And we're extremely proud of that. You know, it's one to get national and state accreditation. But to be the one in less than a hundred of all um, sheriff offices in the nation to hold all three—that—that's something big. Um, but on a more personal note, part of it, I, I was extremely excited for us to, um, in the midst of everything else, uh, to uh, 
to start our GED program um, within our jail and our, also our Narcotics Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous class in the jail. You know, we're able to get these programs in place um, uh, with n no taxpayer money involved, with wow. volunteers, with a partnership with Augusta Tech. Um, and, and I was extremely happy to see having 30 to 60 inmates volunteer for both of these programs. They're saying that at some point they want to make a difference in their life and change their life because, um, you know, we don't see ourselves as a law enforcement agency. We see ourselves as a service agency. And, and you can't um, make that claim if you're not providing services. Um, so we're extremely excited to be able to provide those services in addition to, you know, the outstanding law enforcement duties and, and functions that my deputies are doing on a daily basis. So. You know, I couldn't have been more pleased and proud of the last almost four years um, of being the sheriff of Richmond County. Wow. I want to take you down memory lane somewhat, and you've spoken about the last four years, and I mean, it's been a largely successful campaign. Some of the things that you've mentioned more recently, but really over the last four years, it's mm -hmm. essentially, you know, what, what you promised uh, the constituency here in Richmond County. Uh, four years ago, when you ran for public office, you shared your covenant with the community. Mm -hmm. um, do you feel that you've honored that covenant? And are there some areas of focus that um, you want to revisit, or do you feel like you've covered all those things? No, we were, we were extremely proud that we've we've covered every one of our covenants, um, um, and in three and a half years, the only one that I, I guess I would say that I'm not um, satisfied with is the implementation of, of the camera system that we want to do in downtown and throughout the city. But of course, that's a funding issue. Um, we've worked. Um, with a flat budget for three years. Since I came in office, my budget has not increased in three years. So, you know, we implemented tasers, we implemented body cameras um, for, we created a position for data entry uh, um, um, technicians. We did community services officers downtown on Broad Street. You know, we've done all these programs with, without one increase in our budget um, going into this budget cycle. So we're extremely proud of that to keep providing services. One, you know, of course, if we get funding, it's easier to provide services, but to work with a budget that you inherit and don't go up and still add all these services, um, I think that's a tremendous accomplishment to, you know, our finance department, you know, um, some of our command staff who are innovative enough to create positions when, when people leave or retire and to visualize some of the positions. Um, but I, um, hopefully with the... Um, the spot, passing of the SPLOS, and that's why SPLOS was so important to public safety. One, uh, we're in desperate need of cars. Uh, one of the problems that we were having was over the last five years, we stopped buying cars and started leasing cars. Well, of course, like I said before, you can lease 20 more cars a year than you can buy them. So over the last five years, when we started purchasing them again, that's 100 less cars in five years that we were able to get. So I'm working at a deficit in the last five years of 100 less patrol cars. So when of the splash, that, that's really going to help me uh, revamp my fleet uh, of, of patrol cars. And with the $15 million allocated for the radio project, we're hoping to add a component of the camera system within that radio system for as band woodage and, and uh, width and, and storage capabilities that way. So even though we didn't get the camera system in place for budgetary uh, uh, matters, but I think we've with the passing of the splash and the proposal that we have, that we have a mechanism now to move forward with that, a funding source to move forward. So we think that's a that's a, 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 a counter win, that's a tie on that one. So <laughs> let's say nine and a half out of 10, and, and the 10th one I had no control over because of the budgetary, but we do have a plan in place to, to get that. So I, I do want to start going to the camera system, especially downtown, and then expand it throughout the county. Um, I think technology is the way to go. Um, you know, we're, we're a huge proponent of it. Like I said, with body cameras, we were 
experimenting with body cameras when we first came in the office before the national outcry for body cameras. We were we were already testing those. So um, I, I think you know after this next election, um, going into the next four years, um, I think the people are going to continue to see. Um, the services that we're always looking for innovative ways to provide more services to the people. I want to ask you about the body cameras and, and you all implementing that uh, within the sheriff's office because that is something as you mentioned that you've been very proactive about. I want to ask you about the, I, I, I do believe uh, you're, you're being honest and forthright when you say that it's a budgetary issue. I do believe there are some uh, other instances around the country where you know there are uh, sheriff's offices and, and law, law enforcement um, offices that are more hesitant to add the body cameras for more uh, disingenuous reasons. Um, if you can give us some of your, uh, first of all, the, the proactive aspect mm -hmm. in which you uh, engage that issue, but also you, you do have some of these ideological clashes. Um, absolutely. And even within Georgia, when I go to the national, I mean, the Georgia Sheriff's Conference, even some of the national sheriff's conferences, um, sheriffs are, and police chiefs are torn um, about um, the use of body cameras. Some of them adamantly against it. Now, for whatever reasons, they have the reasons. Um, I have always been in, in, in pro for the body cameras for the fact that, um, you know, total transparency to help another tool to help um, the public see exactly what's going on. The only hesitation I would have with the body camera footage is uh, what happens is um, when people see a body camera footage, they only see 30 to 45 seconds of an incident, the, 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 the climax, the apex of, of the incident. They don't see the two, three minutes to ten minutes prior to what has happened that may have built the tension up. I tell people a lot of times it's something that, that officers refer to as tropical knowledge. Um, and, and I use it from a civilian standpoint, even to the point of, I tell people, have you ever been somewhere either uh, out to dinner or a club or to an event and everything's going good and all of a sudden the mood of the crowd kind of changes and you feel an element comes on like something just... It just doesn't feel as festive as it was, and we call that tropical knowledge. And that can never be picked up on body camera. So if you're dealing with a, a suspect or individual, and all of a sudden you're having a conversation, and that incident escalates, the camera doesn't show you what led up to that point. It just shows you, again, the apex of it. So while it's a great tool, I think people need to, um, to look at it in the context of the fact that, okay, we need to examine everything that happened before the sensationalism of this 30 to 45 seconds that we see. Um, so that's the only thing I encourage people to do. If we do have body cameras footage, to examine the entire incident and not just the one part we see, because people see that and they jump immediately to the conclusion of it. I think one of the things that we were learning over um, um, the last few months with incidents around um, the nation um, is uh, the importance of being as transparent um, and providing as much information as possible, when, especially when you have body camera footage. Um, because if you have evidence and footage, it's not going to change it by holding it. Um, if you have it, good or bad, right or wrong, it's not going to change the situation. So I think we're learning the lessons that as quickly as we can get as much information out to the public as we can before they draw their own conclusion, that I think that breaks down some of the tensions and some of the unrest that you've had over the nation. So we're learning those lessons. But I, myself, I think the body cameras are an excellent tool, but there's just one more tool um, you know, that officer has to, to, to help the public. And like I said, the officer, um, it, it helps him evaluate himself a lot better and, and the citizens too. A lot of times we use body camera footage and show on the deputy, and he just didn't realize how he came across. He didn't think he did anything wrong, but once he saw himself, 
you know, I seen some hang the head. Like I just didn't, I didn't realize it was coming across that way. So we use them as training tools also. So I think it's great that way if you can use them as training opportunities also. Certainly, and I'll, I'll say for your part, just as a as uh, as a person in authority, you've been very uh, very um, honest, very as I mentioned before, forthright and, 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 and accountable, and certainly holding you know the the men and women in uh, in your office accountable as well. I want to ask you this question from a human and honest perspective. It's always uh, interesting and certainly challenging to ask you know law enforcement officials to take themselves out of the uniform or take themselves but because I mean this is a part of who you are mm -hmm. I'm gonna ask you to to do that um, as an African-American man when you see these incidents and particularly to see them happen disproportionately against people of color what's your response um, you know to those type of incidents just from that that human side from that you know as a, as a black man well, and I've, and I've told this, I've been asked this question before prior to me becoming sheriff, plus being the first African-American sheriff, you know, you know, we go back to the W. Du Bois' duality of man. How do I distinguish between the two? You know, and, and I look at it this way. Um, as a sheriff and a, and a law enforcement officer, and then I detach myself, but, you know, I, I believe that everyone um, should uh, abide by the rules and regulations uh, set forth by, by the law. I think that's regardless of race, color, creed, you do that. Now, there's been disproportionate um, um, activities and, and situations related to people of color for years. Yeah, um, it's, it's always been that. We've never been on an equal playing field, just being the minority. Um, you know, we're the only um, race in the last 50 years that our numbers have not risen above 13% in the population. Um, and people don't realize that. Um, and, and we talk about our heritage and we talk about the pride in it, but our numbers are not rising um, because of the, the subsequent um, deaths in our community. So I think we need to look at it um, as a whole. I want to be outraged at some of the disproportionate and say, okay, how can we find ways to improve the system so that we become equal? And I think a lot of that is getting people of color into leadership positions, taking an active role in government, taking an active role in the political process, being active in it. But on the same side, we have to be just as aggressive when we come to um, crimes against people of color that are committed by people of color. Sure. The majority of our crimes, of, of our murders, especially in Richmond County, 99% um, of them by a person of color has been killed by a person of color. Um, and there's no outrage there. So you have to have outrage on both sides if we're going to see a change. So I get frustrated as, as, as a person of color when we get so outraged about one um, disproportionate thing that's happening, but we almost mute or silent about another that's causing irreparable harm to our own race. But yet we get the publicity because we're marching against uh, white cops killing black uh, unarmed black men, where we got black men are killing unarmed black men, or sometimes armed black men. So you, you got to be outraged at both. You can't pick one or the other if you're saying, okay, as a person of color, um, you know, I take pride in my race, pride in my upbringing, pride in my history. Um, you can't choose. Right. You have to be outraged at both. Um, so that's where my frustration comes in. I want people to be speak up again about disproportionate, about um, abuse within the system. You're supposed to, um, to make it better. Um, but the same part, you got to do the other part too. You have to. And that's what frustrates me when people don't. But they, they, they want to march for a cause and forget about these young African-American males that are dying right here in the streets of Augusta. Like I said, of the, of the 20 homicides I've had, 
19 of them been person of color, killed by a person of color. Ah, uh, yes. Now the conversation is really starting to pick up. I know you guys were listening to that last comment, that last piece of commentary there, and you guys got frustrated because, you know, I did the same thing. What I really don't like to hear is when people, you know, want to compare police brutality and how it affects or disproportionately affects people of color and compare it to black on black crime, uh, what is characterized in the media as black on black crime. And that is a point that where Sheriff Roundtree and I, you know, really start to uh, engage in a dialogue and start to challenge other parts of society. And when we come back uh, after these uh, after these messages, uh, we're going to jump right into that conversation. I really want you guys um, to hold on. This is going to be a good conversation. Come back with us. You're listening to Making a Difference. My name is Lauren Macon, and you are listening to Making a Difference with my handsome husband, Ken Macon. Hey, you. Yeah, you. Are you looking for affordable health care? Are you looking for a pharmacy that you can trust? Well, look no further than Medical Villa Pharmacy on 1520 Laney Walker Boulevard here in beautiful Augusta, Georgia. This may be a familiar voice to you. Hey, it's none other than Ken Macon from the hit show Making a Difference. And I just want to tell you about the fine folks over at Medical Villa Pharmacy. They're led by pharmacists Dr. Marshall Curtis and Baron Curtis. And I tell you, they provide great service for many of us here in Augusta, Richmond County. They take Georgia Medicaid, insurance plans, charge cards, WIC vouchers, and they even provide free delivery service. The Medical Villa Pharmacy is conveniently located in the medical district near the Medical College of Georgia and Payne College. Medical Villa Pharmacy. They are dedicated doctors, medical mavens, and a blessing to the health industry. What more can I say but head to Medical Villa Pharmacy, 706-722-7355, 706-722-7355. Have you gotten a letter from the IRS about an audit, levy, or tax lien? Worried because you haven't filed taxes in several years? Well, stop worrying and call the tax pros at TaxWise Financial on Tobacco Road. TaxWise Financial is licensed to represent you at all levels of the IRS in any state, from the simple to the complex. Professional and affordable representation by TaxWise Financial will help resolve all of your tax issues. Call them at 706-305-1412. TaxWise Financial, the wise choice for all your tax needs. Looking for a snack on the go? A gift for someone you know? Well, I want to let you know about my brand new shop, Pop and Stop. Hi, my name is Amber, and if you're like me, you want three things to be great in life. Food, fun, and friends. Well, Pop and Stop has all three. First, the food. We have the best gourmet popcorn in Augusta, and quite possibly the world. We have flavors such as strawberry cheesecake, vanilla, Oreo cheesecake, cheesy ranch, and much more. As far as the fun, we have great discounts, deals, and events for our loyal customers. What about friends? We consider the Augusta community to be our friends, more like family, really. When you support Pop and Stop, you're supporting our youth. When you support Pop and Stop, you're supporting local entrepreneurs and artists through events such as Pop, Sip, and Stroke. So stop in today. Once you pop, you can't stop. Pop and stop. You can find us at 3558 Windsor Spring Road next to the Checkers or give us a call at 706-524-7503. I'm Richmond County Sheriff Richard Roundtree. You're listening to Making a Difference with Ken Macon. Based on, on your frustration, because I like from what I've seen and from in my experiences, I do think people 
are concerned are angry about what um, media will we'll call black on black crime. Um, and we're hearing a lot more, I will, we'll call it underground media, not traditional media, that's saying, you know, the issue of crime is more of an intra-racial uh, issue, white on white crime, black on black crime, you know, crime and, and the rates are showing that these type of incidents will happen, you know, within races. Um, I'm saying, you know, all of that, uh, basically, to, to kind of get your, your viewpoints on this, is it something that, or could it be an issue where the media is, is more more focused and see, sees it as more lucrative to say, hey, white cop shoots black guy, um, and doesn't see it as lucrative to address some of the issues in our community, you know, when it comes to poverty, um, when it comes to uh, intra-racial crime. Could that mm -hmm. be one of the issues that... Uh, uh, absolutely. You know, media, uh, mainstream media is a business. Um, and the sensational stories sell. Um, the stories of goodwill, the stories of, of hope, you get those every now and then. Um, but if you want people to tune in, you come up with stories that are sensationalized, that people can talk about. And especially with the uh, uh, the emergence of, of social media now. Um, and I never thought it would be as huge as it was. Where now it's almost getting to the point where it is outstreaming mainstream media because it's so instantaneous with social media. And that's where people are taking um, their frustrations too. So when you you know when you, when you bring that into it, um, I think mainstream media is trying to find a way to um, keep up with you know when you got on social media where you have a person filming their loved one dying live in the middle of a, a incident with a police officer. You know mainstream media would never report that you know the way the social media. But by the time it gets to mainstream media, that's been viewed. A hundred thousand times, and I never thought that we were in a society where a person felt the first thing they want to do is share this tragic experience with, with the world. So I think, like I said, the mainstream media and all media outlets now are trying to keep up with the man of people want sensationalism. I never thought reality TV would ever work. <laughs> I mean, I just never thought when it first came up with it. I said this concept would never. Who wants to sit down and watch somebody about other people's lives? and you know live their lives I was wrong on that one if I would had to bet I would have lost money on that one um, but now it is one of the fastest growing entertainment genres that that, that we have absolutely. so um, absolutely I think the media um, is responding to what the public um, shows interest in and now it goes back to my original point we as a society especially as people of color we know issues of poverty. We know how people social. I tell you, it's a socioeconomic thing. Now. It's poverty. It's about um, um, jobs. It's about having resources. It's about some broken families. But we see this happening in our community. But we're not doing anything to address those. We know it's happening, and all we're doing is continuing to, um, you know, uh, to, to feed into it and allow it to happen. I don't say feed into it, but we we allow it and becoming numb to it. There's no movements um, within our own uh, uh, um, uh, uh, racial uh, ethnic group to, again, addressing our poverty issues, the socioeconomic issues, the education. You know, I'm a big proponent of education, but you don't see those pushes in those stores. You don't. You don't see them. Um, so the media doesn't report on those because they don't appear to be um, stores of interest to um, within either race, either in the white community or the black community, they don't seem to be uh, what the people want to watch. So media, again, it becomes a business, and they cater to the business of wanting people to watch their particular you know, genre of media. How, how do we, 
how, how do we create the paradigm shift to make those issues relevant or important to our community? I'm going to tell you, and, and this is going to be the tough part of it, and, but I'm going to be blunt with you and tell you. It's going to take people, um, especially as we ascend to, uh, especially if we're talking about within the, the urban African-American community, um, people of color who have ascended to positions, like I say, of me, a sheriff, elected officials, community leaders, um, that they're going to have to be willing to risk that position to say use it for the good of saying, look, we need to address these issues that are here. And a lot of people won't do it because it's politically unpopular. And we sometimes choose to be popular and to be elected and to be in this position than to tackle that tough subject. As you'll see over the history, most of our leaders um, who went through the struggle of trying to get the disparity from civil rights and racial economics? Uh, they were in prison. Mm -hmm. They were ridiculed. Um, they were so they tried to be socially embarrassed. They, you know, some of them were followed by the government, wiretapped. It, it wasn't easy, and I just don't think we're willing to make those sacrifices anymore. Um, a person is, if they're in a position, let's say with me, just to give me an example, since I'm the one brought it up. If I'm the sheriff, I'm the highest elected law official in the county, and now it comes down to, okay, I need to choose a social issue um, over the fact of possibly um, risking my reelection. what do you do? Yeah. You know, because then you ask yourself, you can't do any good if you're not in the seat. But what good are you doing while you're in the seat? It, wow. So you, you have to, you know, and that's what it's going to have to take. It's going to have to take people, and like I said, I think I want to own official. That tell them, you know, and and I said, you know, black kids in Augusta are killing black kids. Um, now, you talking about the national narrative of uh, where they're killing unarmed black men throughout the nation. Let's talk about the 20 people that lost their lives right here in Richmond County. And let's call it what it is and say, neither one of them is acceptable. I'm not picking a side. I'm saying neither one is acceptable. And I'm just as outraged at the national narrative as I am with the local narrative. But I'm the local sheriff, so I have to put more of my attention on the local issues. So I'm more passionate about the 20 African Americans that was killed this year, mostly by people of color. That's what I have to put my focus on. And I, and I can appreciate that. And I, I want to say that to the listening audience because, you know, people who are, are listening to this, will listen to this discussion and they will, you know, come up to with their own conclusions. I'll, I will challenge you all listening in this way. The fact that you have... Um, uh, the, as uh, Sheriff Roundtree mentioned, the, the um, highest law enforcement official in the county, to have him come out and to challenge what I call, you know, the black bourgeoisie, to challenge, you know, the haves, and to say, hey, you know, these individuals need to step up, um, and instead of always wanting to be PC, you know, call things like they are, you know, put their prominence, put their position on the line for the betterment of the entire community, and that is what uh, the sheriff is talking about and and I'm gonna tell you one of the reasons why I appreciate you because you're willing to have the discussion you're willing to have people you know say hey sheriff I agree with how you did this sheriff I don't agree with how you did this but you're always willing to come out um, and talk to the community about wh um, who you are why why you're doing the things that you're doing it's always for the betterment of the community so I, I appreciate that um, I also wanted to talk about some of the uh, the initiatives that you're pushing forth and some of the things you've been pushing forth for a while in terms of uh, attacking gun violence, if you could mm -hmm. share some of those uh, initiatives with us. Uh, absolutely. Um, a, a couple of years ago, we, we uh, launched the No One Wins campaign. 
um, this initiative to reduce gun violence in Richmond County. Because, you know, when I first came into the office, and I told him, I said, I want to be innovative, um, and I don't want to f subscribe to the notion, and the traditional notion that everybody say, well, you can't control homicides. Homicides are going to happen. You can't. And I'm like, that's been a narrative y'all been pushing for 40 years. Um, and I tell people, the only the difference that um, in a homicide, an aggravated assault, is the person dies. And the only reason that we don't have more deaths is because we have a level three trauma center here when it was um, university uh, uh, hospital. I mean, uh, you, GRU, whatever it was at the point of being. But um, because you have a level three trauma center, they saved a, a ton of people. So to reduce your homicides, you got to reduce the number of people being shot or stabbed or involved in these incidents, then your homicide rate will drop because less people are being shot and killed. So the problem comes in is we have to find a way to reduce gun violence. And, and unfortunately, we're in a culture now where, especially in, a, in, in our African-American community, where that people feel like carrying a gun is a necessity. Um, and it's just the, the image um, that the people, and, and people don't realize that you know, carrying a gun for the sake of carrying a gun will get you killed quicker than not even having a gun. Um, but the culture um, here, and because Georgia is such readily uh, a feeder state for guns throughout the nation, they're easily accessible. Um, so, you know, our initiatives were saying, okay, first, we have the enforcement aspect of it, where we're getting guns off the street. So we went into uh, my education opponent where we had the mother of a murder victim and um, the suspect and both of them came together and said we both lost our children you know one is no longer with them one is incarcerated for the rest of life it affected both of ours and people don't realize that so now we took it a step further with our sons out guns out with the enforcement issue is saying we took almost 300 illegal guns off the streets of Augusta now think about how important that is in the streets of Augusta and I 200,000 people community here, 300 illegal guns off the streets of Augusta, 300. These guns have been used in crime, possessed by convicted felons, um, uh, number, uh, serial numbers been altered, you know. So these guns are specifically designed for, for destruction of some sort. And 57 of them were by convicted felons, people who had already been incarcerated, who've already been sentenced, and knowingly that they don't, don't supposed to possess a firearm. So think about if you got 57 individuals say, okay, I know by law because of what I've done and I've been given a second chance, I'm back on the street or whatever the case may be, and I choose to pick up a firearm, then that's telling me my side mindset is I'm not out to do good. My mindset is still out to do the same destructive behavior that I was before because if not, I wouldn't have the gun. So, um, you know, we're doing that part as an, an, an enforcement part of it. But then after that, we came back with these PSAs that you may have seen um, about um, um, two kids with a gun and one shot the other one, the best friend. And the mother was saying she got the call about her child being killed tonight because they're handling a handgun. So we got the educational part of it, too. So, and it's a cultural part that we have to attack it from all sides. And that's what we're trying to do. So every initiative that we come up with, we're trying to, to stack on to the one we originally started. It's not just one initiative and we're done with it. Everything goes back to the no one wins, stopping gun violence. So every initiative we come out after that um, is aimed for education purposes, for enforcement purposes, um, again, um, for the cultural change aspect of it, saying you, 
it doesn't make you tough because you walk around with a gun in your waistband. And we got to change that mentality. So, you know, that's something that takes time. I mean, two years, we're starting to make a difference, but we're not seeing the results we want to see yet. But, again, when you're talking about 30, 40 years of a cultural shift, you can't expect it to change in two years. But you got to the change. you got you got to keep going and reinforcing the same message, and that's what we're doing, reinforcing. So as I go in my years, everything is going to spin off reducing gun violence in this county. And I think eventually we're going to see a huge difference in that, like I said, but we can't see it in two years. But we're going to see it because we're going to keep pushing toward it. I hear the optimism in your voice. I know you've um, you know, really been pushing this initiative. Is it something that we're, that we're going to start seeing in the schools as well? Um, well, we're a great proponent of, of partnership. Um, and you know we have a great relationship with the school system, um, so we, we 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 welcome that dialogue. We welcome that those relationships um, um, with them because you know my thing is if something is working, let's let it work throughout the county. Because uh, you know one of the big things we did, especially with um, gang violence and, and, and intelligence, that we invited the school systems. Now they are part of our intelligence briefings um, about because we know incidents that happen in the streets wind up back in the schools or something happens in school end up back in the neighborhoods so now and this is recently six months ago school personnel have sent people over now that um, every two weeks they're part of our intelligence briefing so they can know what's going on in the community we can know what's going on in the school so we can have that that um, collaboration so we can see if something needs to be heating up or something needs to be more emphasis put on a certain part of the neighborhood or town or something. So I think that's going to work in the long run. Again, that, that's again, that is just another part of the component of reducing gun violence because you got to attack it from, from every aspect. Um, now, you know me since you've been talking to me, I have been a huge component of education. You know, that was one of the main reasons that, that I ran for office. Remember I told you, and I can remember it easily, um, you know, in 2004, when, when, I, when I was working homicide and I saw a direct correlation between our violent crime rate, our homicide rate, and our education rate in Richmond County. And this was before people were doing statistics and whatnot, and I don't even know how I come up with doing it, but I ended up looking at it, trying to find, and I found, and I told about, you know what the number one component everybody, well, it was black, what, nope. I said, uh, one father household, two for, nope. I said, what? I said, of all these homicides, not one person has graduated high school. People accused. I said, not one. I said, throw out all the other stuff about, you know, two-parent household, what side of town, all I say, education. I said, that is the one component that's consistent in every person that was accused of homicide that year. This was in 2004. And uh, naively, I took this to, to the former sheriff and said, hey, I found this, you know, the education. And, and when he said, um, it's not my job to educate him, it's my job to lock him up. Yeah. That's when I knew... Only way I could change it from the top, and that was in 2004, and that's when I said I need to be sheriff for Richmond County if I want to change it. Um, so that philosophy hasn't changed. Um, I think education is, is, is the key. It is a huge proponent of it. So anything we can do to bring the school system in, and, 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 and the challenge is I think we as a society or people who want to do good, we went in naively going after high schoolers and middle schoolers, and we got to start much younger. And I think we were just naive saying, okay, when these kids turn teenagers, let's try to get them straight. And I told them, I said, I met, when I was working homicide, a 13-year-old who admittedly was in a game that scared me more 
than a 20 or 30 year old that I had met before. His his reality of life, his wow. concept of life. He was 13. Yeah. And I said, how long you been in the game? He said, all my life. And um, I said, you're not worried about being retaliated? Because he was, I, he was at the attorney school when I was interviewing him. And um, he said, oh, no, that's why I'm always, uh, I'm ready. I said, you in school now. I said, so you ain't, you know, scrapped in there now. So I said, what if they come to the school when you're done? And his response to me was, you better not miss. And this is from a 13-year-old. Right. And, and I'm thinking, I mean, this was his concept of life death. He had no, and, and this was Gene. This wasn't another show. This was just me and him. He wasn't put on the show for anybody. Right. I could see that Gene was in. And, and so, you know, we were naive to think that's when we need to start getting to these kids. And, and, and we got we to gotta start in elementary school. We got to start at the moment they start. You know, you see kids three or four years old on the Internet, on the phone, looking at all this information. Right. They have access to it. I mean, they just being fed to it. Sponge, they I mean, just so, and and here we are, saying, okay, go play, go play with the phone, go and get and they YouTube and they getting all this invented video game, and we thinking it's a babysitting tool, and they absorbing all this stuff, and we're not even educating them to the fact of okay, this is what you need to do. You can only be on this an hour, days. It's a tool. We using as a babysitting tool. Keep them quiet. Take this and go play. Pacify. Right. And these kids are just soaking up all the stuff. Then by the time you realize something's wrong, this kid is 12 and 13, and you're trying to instill values in him. And he's already done sucked up all his values, you know, from society. So, you know, I think that's something we have to revisit. And like I said, not just as the, And I think that's a component that the sheriff's office should be a part of it, too. Uh, you know, I said when I took this office that I'm going to use the sheriff's office as a, an opportunity to change the concept of our society, not just as a law enforcement thing and that I think that's the office was designed to do that so and I hope I'm bringing justice um, to that part of the job that's 2012 we, we had a uh, yeah um, we talked about the, you know these ambitions mm -hmm. over the last four years we've seen them come to fruition uh, tis the season uh, we are fastly approaching election day um, I'm obviously uh, hopeful and anticipating your re-election um, to see you continue into some of these uh, really great initiatives and invariably to have some of these great conversations. Well, we're happy with it. Like I said, I think we've done a great job. Um, you know, we do have some opposition in uh, in November. Um, we're very confident that, that the job that we have done, that people will uh, be more um, willing to, to, to extend um, our, our administration so we're confident that we'll, we'll be another four years and maybe four years after that um, but like I said I just want to thank you and the people um, of Augusta that who's given us an opportunity over these four years just to say look let's see what we can do and you know I said back then if you like the job we're doing vote us back in um, if not then exercise your right to vote somebody that you think can do a better job and I think in these last three and a half years I think we've done um, a superb job um, that the people will want to continue, you know, to see this work. So we're 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 confident going into November. Sounds good. Always glad to have Sheriff Richard Roundtree on making a difference with this. Thank you again. Thank you. I think this is a great conversation. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I just want to let you guys know about some of the things that's going to be coming up on making a difference. The interview with Sheriff Roundtree is going to be the start of a series uh, that we call Meet the Candidates. This is something that we had a chance to do back in May, had a chance to talk to effectively 
all of the candidates in the Augusta Richmond County area, you know, just giving them a, a platform, you know, somewhere to share, you know, some of the things that they're campaigning about, some of the things that they want uh, the general public to know about. And we're going to have that series coming up here very soon. We also had a chance to talk to uh, Courtney Davis. She's the marketing specialist over at Cabela's in Augusta. And I don't know if you guys have you know, heard the uh, the conversation that Killer Mike had uh, when he was in Atlanta, just talking about, you know, self-sufficiency and, you know, as African-Americans, we talk about revolution, but are we really, you know, ready for revolution? And so to that effect, you know, I wanted to sit down with her, just talk about, you know, some of the things they have in the store, some of the things that, you know, just in terms of teaching people, you know, how to hunt, how to fish, different things like that. And I want you all to be a part of the making a difference experience in that regard. I appreciate you guys so much. You know, a, a lot of you guys are really, you know, shouting us out on social media, you know, in the streets, man. We appreciate the love and the support. And with that, we're going to sign off of another great episode of Making a Difference. I'm Ken Making. Love you guys so much. Peace and God bless. Did you enjoy that episode of Making a Difference? If you did, then I want you to follow and keep up with the Making a Difference movement on Twitter, on Facebook, on SoundCloud, and on iTunes. If you're looking us up on iTunes, Search for making M-A-K-I-N a difference. SoundCloud, all you got to do is go to soundcloud.com backslash making a difference. On Twitter, the handle is difference making, M-A-K-I-N. And on Facebook, you can go to facebook.com backslash making a difference show, S-H-O-W. Thank you guys so much for supporting the movement. Love you guys. Peace and God bless.